Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, you are back from Clemson. Uh, you had a, a hell of a trip there. You saw a quote-unquote competitive game for like a quarter or so? I don't know. How, how even, was it? Tell me about it. Not, not even really a quarter. Um, yeah, Clemson stepped on Boston College's throat pretty early. Joey, I actually tweeted this, uh, you know, I was obviously tweeting from the show account, um, Mm -hmm. you know, basically the entire day yesterday. Um, I tweeted out at one point, I said, yeah, I said on the preview for this week that Boston College had a shot to cover. And boy, oh boy, did I deserve to have that blow up in my face in person. Um, (laughs) Don't get in the way of the train. Yeah, I mean, you got away. I got in the way of the train. Um, (laughs) I I didn't say it wouldn't be all that competitive. I thought BC could backdoor cover. Uh, Joey, they couldn't stop anything that Clemson was trying to do. But let's back up a step. The game day experience in Clemson, mm-hmm. in my opinion, best in the ACC, and it's not even close. And yep. it was homecoming yesterday. Maybe that had something to do with it. But, I mean, the way I look at it, look, Boston College isn't all that good. Yes, it's a night game, and that's really cool. Night games in Death Valley do live up to the hype, even against a team like Boston College. It was still very cool. Bar scene's really good. Tailgating scene is absolutely unbelievable. Um by far the best I've seen in the ACC. Uh, the game day experience at Clemson exceeded my expectations, Joey. It was outstanding. Um, I went to the SO Club, which yeah. I had multiple recommendations. I had one from you. I had one from Andrew Parker. Uh, multiple, multiple people said, hey, SO Club, SO Club, SO Club. No problem. No problem. Mm-hmm. I, I ended up there uh, before kickoff yesterday. I was there for... Um, Let's, let's call it a few rounds, Joey. About <laughs> two hours before kickoff. Rounds of what, Mike? Uh, juice and water <laughs> and other cool soft drinks. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, lemonade. Yeah. Lemonade, in a manner of speaking. <laughs> yeah. Had a, had a couple of beverages. Um, very cheap, which was great. I was a fan, a fan mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Uh, so you, if you're not going to the... Uh, if you're heading down to, to Death Valley, you're not going to be paying a ton of money as far as the game experience is concerned outside of tickets, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get away with, you know, going down there and not spending a ton of money and still having just as much fun as everybody else is. Uh, open container, by the way. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. You, drink wherever <laughs> you want. Beer. I mean, don't even pretend like you're covering up. Walk by cops in the middle of campus, beer in hand, no koozie. Uh, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Toast with the cops, the whole thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's <laughs> it's great. Nobody cares about open container. I mean, open container laws, uh, phenomenal. It's great. It's great. Wide open there. College towns um, are absolutely the best. They are, they are the best, and you know, it makes me wonder why Virginia Tech doesn't allow kids to. I don't know. Walk around with a couple of drinks through the middle of campus. I don't know. <laughs> that's that, that's the it's the first place I've seen Joey where they've had um, a bunch of tailgaters just really drive up in the middle of campus and literally park wherever park on the grass you know park next to a building park on the steps like nobody cares park wherever you feel like you know set up a tailgate there drink wherever you want to um it was just a very very cool experience very different uh exceeded my expectations so the game day experience was really good and clemson by the way joey i mentioned a few weeks ago that you know they might be a couple weeks away from war machine mode um Found the War Machine Clemson on Saturday night. Found them. Yep, they're here. Um, let's let's jump in and talk about that. We got five games to recap. We'll start there. Number four Clemson, fifty nine Boston College, seven. Um, yeah, don't get in the way of the train, Mike. Clemson minus anything. Um, they they came out of that bye week a couple weeks ago with their hair on fire. They they went in off of the near miss against UNC. They come out and they have absolutely housed. Uh, three teams in a row here. Boston College, just the latest victim. Um, a couple things I had on here. Clemson scored 38 points on six drives in the first half. They never punted. They never turned it over. They never did anything. They scored five touchdowns, kicked one field goal on six drives. That's efficient. Um, Trevor Lawrence's last snap was with nine minutes to go in the third quarter. He threw a 63-yard touchdown pass. They took a 52-7 to lead, and he was out of there. Um, Clemson ends up with 674 total yards, and that was a mere 497 more yards than Boston College had at 177. So that's the level of dominance we're talking about here. Boston College, the only thing that in any way, shape, or form, quote-unquote, worked in this game was, I guess, A.J. Dillon a little bit. But even that was a total struggle. Uh, Dennis Grissell finishes this game for Boston College 3 of 14 for 53 yards, he lost a fumble on a strip sack. Uh, that was returned for a touchdown. He had not quite four yards per passing attempt. That is not going to get it done. Um, this was just a complete, complete overwhelming matchup here, and, and Clemson never left any doubt. This was a, a blowout from the beginning. Clemson does this thing where they play a snippet of their fight song, and the whole the whole stadium yells go after every first down. Mm-hmm. And after a while, my girlfriend turned to me, and my girlfriend also a tech alum. For those of you who don't know, she and Virginia Master Tech program. alum. Yeah, Virginia Tech alum, the the better tech. Um, so she she Scoreboard. turns and looks. <laughs> Damn it! Um, <laughs> see you in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. So she she turns over to me and she says, "Man, they've played that a ton. How many first downs do you think Clemson has?" I said, "Oh, I don't know, about 40. This is in the fourth quarter, by the way. I said, "I don't know, about 40. And um, I'm looking at the box score now. They had 36 first downs. Yeah. Yeah. That's, man, Boston College. Literally stop anything, please. And, look, BC, BC is going up against Clemson's backups for basically the entirety of the second half, save for, like, t- I think two drives, and they still couldn't really stop them. Um, Trevor Lawrence had as many incompletions as touchdown passes. That's three. 15 of 18 in this game. Um, three incompletions you know, for Trevor Lawrence? Is he is he okay, Mike? You think he's... I don't know if he's as good this year. He had three incompletions, you said? Three incompletions. I, I just said 15 of 18. He was actually 16 of 19, Joey, for 275 and three touchdowns. Turns out he might be okay. 
I think we should be worried about Trevor Lawrence. There were three passes that were not caught by Clemson receivers there. That's That seems like a problem. I don't know. Yeah, and to be honest with you, <laughs> the, the three that were incomplete, I mean, one of them was kind of like a, a throwaway, and the other two could have easily been caught. So this could have been even better, believe it or not. Uh, Travis Etienne, they love him in Death Valley. And mm-hmm. I could see why in person, 16 for 109, three touchdowns. Uh, Lynn J. Dixon got in the game late. He had over 70 yards, I think, on eight carries. So that gives you an idea of how he was operating as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Clemson completed passes to uh, in the double digits with the receivers. Let me see here. One, two, three, six. This is good podcasting, of course. 13 different receivers, I think, by my count. Um, Something like that, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, that was pretty good. Chase Bryce came in through a touchdown pass to DeAndre Overton. Overton had three touchdown catches on the game. He caught two from Lawrence and one from Chase Bryce. Um, Amari Rogers had a touchdown catch. The whole stadium, by the way, yells T every time T Higgins catches the ball, which is – I was trying to put myself in his shoes, having 81,000 people yelling your name <laughs> after every time you just even catch only a five-yard pass. So that was something. Yeah, just a complete and utter – dominant blowout win uh clemson takes on wofford next week so if you saw what they just did to boston college just wait and see what they do to wofford this is gonna sound dumb but if you think about it for a second i'm not kidding what are the chances that that wofford game on the scoreboard is closer than this game was uh you're not entirely see that's the thing like i'm not (laughs) sure i'm not sure you're entirely wrong with that statement like i think this this game against BC, like Clemson actually gets up for it because it's a conference game. They know that they're going to beat Wofford by 40 points, even if they just kind of roll out the helmets. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think Boston College might end up losing by worse than Wofford does yeah. until we recap the game next weekend and we see it was like 70-3 to three or something. And we're like, ah, well, we messed that one up. Yeah. Um, only other thing I had, I, I had made a note to myself to discuss Trevor Lawrence. And obviously – what I was saying earlier about three hole incomplete passes, obviously that's a um, me mimicking some of the national media so far this year, which has been, you know, calling into question some things. I was thinking about it some more, Mike, and I think the best way I, I know how to quantify Trevor Lawrence's, um, he's got eight interceptions already on the year, which is like double what the odds were saying um, and, and double what he had all of last year. People are saying that they think he's bored. I, I don't think I would say necessarily boredom. But what I would say is I think that he – maybe there is there is a, a lot of extra trust that he's putting in his own arm as well as in his receivers that he's throwing some passes that maybe he shouldn't at times because he knows that his receivers are just going to go up and catch him except for the times that they don't. So I, that's the only thing I can really think of here that is maybe caused some of the interception stuff over the season. But, I mean, in general, I, I – I, don't see any reason to worry about Trevor Lawrence. Um, he had one kind of iffy game, really two kind of iffy games from a completion percentage standpoint, and that was game number one against Georgia Tech, game number three at Syracuse. Other than that, I mean, everything's been really good in here. Now, the last three weeks, he's gone 68, 69, and 84% completion. Like, he is dialed in as just as much as everybody else is on this Clemson team right now. So um, that's all I got. Don't get in the way of the train here. The national narratives are dumb, and there are people out there questioning Clemson. And, Joey, here's the thing. Like, statistically, they're rated higher in some categories than they were a year ago in offense and defense. Trevor Lawrence, like you mentioned, 
you know, he's thrown eight interceptions this year, which, you know, he set an unrealistic bar for himself with how he played last year. And like you said, maybe putting a little too much trust in his arm at times. But if that's really going to be the only thing getting away, getting in the way of Clemson offensively, you have to feel pretty good about your chances. Mm-hmm. And then defensively, look, there are a lot of there are a lot of programs here in in the top five or ten that have a chance of making the playoff that have question marks on in certain position groups on certain sides of the ball. I'm still trying to find Clemson's weakness overall. Like the defense has played pretty well all year, despite losing the talent that they did in their front seven. Um, the quarterback play, I guess, like Trevor Lawrence throwing a couple more interceptions than last year. Like, is that it? <laughs> because other than that, great running, great running team. Offensive lines played really well. Skill position, talent everywhere. I don't see many weaknesses personally, but we'll we'll see what happens as they come down the home stretch here and you know play a South Carolina team at the end of the year that should give them a little bit more of a game, hopefully and. You know, Clemson obviously has the playoff, and because you know they're not getting anything in the ACC championship game out of anybody in the Coastal. Yeah, no, not at all. Well, and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But yeah, Clemson down the stretch here: Wofford at NC State, Wake by week at at South Carolina. So you got to buy before you go to Columbia, and I mean that's look Wake as good as they've been for a lot of the year, and and they're ranked and all this stuff. Like they're probably not. They're probably the, the second least threatening team for this, you know, this Clemson team. I think down the down the stretch. Obviously, yep. Walford is the least threatening, but after that, I think it's probably Wake. I, I think road games against NC State and South Carolina are more threatening than that, and that's not really saying that much. I, I don't know how much any of those games is really threatening at this point. So yeah, NC State's terrible, and South Carolina just lost by three scores to Tennessee. So here we are. Yeah, that's all you need to know there. Uh, Clemson, 59, Boston College, 7. Let's move on, Mike. Miami, 16, Pittsburgh, 12. And, uh, Mike, we have some breaking news here. Um, oh, boy. Something just came across. Uh, Pitt just dropped another pass. Yeah, Pitt's receiver is now up <laughs> to about 17 drop passes in this game. Uh, this is our long national nightmare at this point is Pitt's receivers dropping passes left and right from Kenny Pickett. Um, this was a, an ugly game. There was a lot of weather involved here. There was a, a pretty big rainstorm that covered a big region of the country here that is also going to be involved in our next game. Uh, this game was pretty ugly to watch in a lot of ways. Uh, not a lot of moving the ball on either end. Again, it was 16 to 12 as a final score. Um, there was not a lot of moving the ball at all. Um, Miami changes quarterbacks late in the game. That ends up doing it for them. Um, Nikosi Perry was not particularly good. 10 for 24 for 104 and an interception. Um, that was through a little over three quarters. Then with about seven minutes left, they bring in Jaron Williams. They immediately go three and out, but then on the next drive, he goes four for eight, 50 yards, and a touchdown, um, including the game winner to K.J. Osborne. Um, Mike, that was set up and made possible by Pitt's goal line decision making, which is starting to become a bit of a sticking point, we'll say, with the Panthers. Um, Pittsburgh had the ball, I believe it was third and goal on the one uh, earlier in the fourth quarter, right before that quarterback change. They didn't get anything on third down, and on fourth down, they kick a field goal, even taking a penalty to move, you know, move the team back five yards. Pitt continues not scoring touchdowns in the red zone and really in those goal line situations. And it doesn't end once again here. 
This is a rough loss for Pitt. It's a pretty good win for Miami, but I've got a couple other numbers here I'll share with you in a minute, but I'll, I'll let you get in here, Mike. That This is this was an ugly game, but it is just peak ACC Coastal right now. Yes, yeah, so and Nikosi Perry was playing with a separated shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's non-throwing shoulder. Non-throwing shoulder, yeah. Yeah, so he was playing hurt, and there were times where I was like, okay, he looks pretty good. I guess he might not be as hurt as I thought. Then there were some other throws he made, and I was like, oh, my God. Um, I think his shoulder hurt him on that one, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, it could be in your non-throwing shoulder, but you still have to, like, step into passes and push that non-throwing shoulder through um, through your target. So it's not like you're out here not using it at all. Plus, you play quarterback and get hit and stuff. Um, how's that for analysis? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, that wasn't great. Jaron Williams comes in, of course, you know, throws that touchdown pass late. Uh, that was a slugfest of a game. Um, obviously, you know, it's 12 to 10 for a while. Um, I just, man, Miami kills me, right? Because defensively, they really didn't look too impressive on Saturday either. Like, I feel like it was more of Pittsburgh just shooting themselves in the foot rather than Miami's defense playing like a much better game than they did against Georgia Tech a week ago. Mm-hmm. I don't think Miami took all that many leaps forward defensively in this game. Um, like you mentioned, Pitt had a bunch of drop passes. Kenny Pickett finishes 18 of 32. That could have easily been like 24 of 32, and that's probably like uh, that's probably on the low end. I mean, we say six dropped passes. It could have been more. Um it was not a great performance on either side offensively. Like you mentioned, the weather was bad. Mm-hmm. Both teams had trouble moving the football. Pittsburgh, for what it's worth, still had 176 yards rushing. So, you know, there were a handful of plays in particular that I looked at in this game, and I saw Miami just being totally unable to make open field tackles, which is a carryover from a week ago when they also couldn't tackle anybody. Granted, it was a little bit better, but at times it still looked pretty rough. So Miami's got some issues defensively. Clearly they have some issues offensively. Now I'm wondering if quarterback is an issue again, right? Because mm-hmm. they still haven't found that guy to really be a consistent threat at the position. I mean, it's Nikosi Perry one week, it's Jaron Williams the next. Overall, I think they've both played okay this year. Um, it hasn't been as big of an issue as it has been the last couple of years for Miami with Malik Rozier. But it's just, it's just been interesting because it's like a total Jekyll and Hyde offense with those guys. With Nikosi, it's very inconsistent but very explosive. And with Jaron, it's very consistent and not explosive like whatsoever. Right. Which neither one of them is going to do Miami much good, right? Like yeah. they got to hit it. They got to hit a different level. I'm more apt to see it now with Jaron Williams and Nikosi Perry. I, I don't think Nikosi Perry is a guy at this point in is in this point in his career that's going to do a whole lot more. That's going to make me think that he's the guy moving forward, and he's going to be a you know be consistent four star turn superstar that Miami fans want him to be. I think he kind of is what he is at this point. Jaron Williams is still like you know a handful of games into his career. I mean, we're sitting here in you know, Miami, you know, with that game yesterday, they're four and four on the year. Jaron Williams has made what, four star, uh, six starts? I mean, something like that, yeah. He didn't start this week, didn't start last week. So, I mean, Maybe five, at, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, five or six starts for Jaron Williams. So, there's still, you know, some things to be desired, obviously, in his game because the team lacks explosiveness when he's in. But I'm curious to see if he's able to take more steps forward. He leads them in the game-winning drive here against Pittsburgh, which was good. 
uh, it, it's a win for Miami. And it's, in my opinion, a bad loss for Pittsburgh, but totally expected because that's, you know, you're supposed to lose at home as a favorite in the ACC Coastal. That's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me put it to you this way. Uh, Miami's offense in this game, 208 total yards, 12 first downs, two for 14 on third down, not quite 27 minutes time of possession in a game that they won. Mike, you know how they won that game? Pitt's scoring offense is horrible. Uh, oh, yeah. Pitt's scoring offense right now is 13th in the in the uh, conference overall. In conference play, it's 12th. So if you just take out, oh, well, they played Penn State, they played UCF, okay, fine. But in ACC play through four games, their 21.5 points a game is 12th in the conference. Um, and then also, Kenny Pickett, any guesses on where he lands in yards per attempt? In the conference, I'm gonna go with 13th, uh, 12th out of 12 oh. qualifying quarterbacks. There's only 12 okay. qualifying quarterbacks, and he's 12th. And a 14-team conference. That sounds very ACC-like. Yeah, um, six yards per attempt, dead last in the conference among qualifying quarterbacks. And I, I think it's probably about 100 attempts at this point to qualify. But this offense, I mean, and let's let's look again at where did Pittsburgh kick field goals from? So they, they score, uh, they kick a field goal on their opening drive from 54 yards, which was a really impressive kick from Alex Kessman. From there, they kick another one in the first half from the Miami seven yard line. They kick another one in the second half to open up the second half from the Miami 11 yard line on a drive where they started with the ball in the red zone off of interception. And then in the third quarter, again, or in the fourth quarter, they, they kick that field goal. They were going to kick field goal from the one. It ends up being from the 11 after a pair of penalties. But, I mean, they cannot finish drives, like, to save their life. And it's showing, and it, it's going to cost them. It's going to continue to cost them. It's, it's frustrating because it seems like Pitt's defense might be the single best unit of any one unit in the ACC Coastal. And yet, I don't know how much it matters. I, you know, because the offense is just so inconsistent and inept at times. So, I don't know. That's all I got to say. It was an ugly game. I, Kenny Pickett continues to be, you know, very limited ceiling, we'll say. And I, I wish Pitt could be a little bit more of a complete team. Let's just say as a Virginia Tech fan and, you know, watching Ed alum and, and watching the Hokies go through their own set of woes this year, I'm really glad I'm seeing Pittsburgh coming up. I'm really glad I'm seeing Georgia Tech coming up, and I'm pretty glad I'm seeing Virginia coming up as well, Joey. Well, Mike, if you feel like Virginia Tech can't lose any of those games, I have bad news for you. <laughs> they definitely can. Let's just let's just be careful counting those chickens before they hatch. You know, might be making I a couple don't... omelets on the way. I am the last person to sit here and tell you that I'm confident in any Virginia Tech game through the rest of the season. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a wise uh, wise standpoint to take there. Uh, Miami 16, Pitt 12. Again, I honestly, I don't think this makes me feel any better about Miami. It just definitely makes me feel worse about Pitt. That's I think that's my big takeaway here. Okay, I'm with it. Louisville 28, Virginia 21, Mike, in a game that we felt like could have, you know, had some potential to get weird, and it sure did. Um, speaking of weather, this game was largely played in like a driving rainstorm. Um, we were talking beforehand, and, and you mentioned remembering, what was it, 2016, 2015, when Notre Dame went 4-8? and eight, and how uh, 2016. They, 2016, they played a game against NC State in Raleigh that was literally in the middle of a hurricane, and... Brian Kelly and Notre Dame attempt like 35 passes in that game. 
Yep. Virginia attempted 42 passes in this game in a driving rainstorm. They completed 24 of them. So that's not terrible, but they weren't really accomplishing much with them. Five, you know, five and a half yards per attempt on the game for the Cavs. Louisville, on, on the other hand, they went eight for 14 passing for 133 to score, but they ran 45 times for 227. Uh, had some huge plays and and. By the way, a, a huge chunk of that passing yardage was really on just like a jet sweep that was a little pat, pop pass. Um, Louisville's coaching in this game was fantastic. Um, they they called plays well. They managed the game really well. Um, they were able to really do a nice job of containing Virginia's rushing attack. Virginia finishes the game with only 78 yards on the ground on 26 carries. Um, Virginia's having huge problems on offense right now, and... Man, I just there's a, there's just a lot going on here. Um, I, I I don't know why they were trying to pass so hard, but then again, they don't run the ball particularly well. They just don't move the ball in offense well at all. If you're if it's Virginia right now, which again, the other possible best unit of any one side of the coastal is probably Virginia's defense, and it's it feels like the wheels are kind of coming off for the Cavs here. Um, I'll I'll avoid rambling anymore, Mike. I don't know if you got to see any of this game, but it's not a good situation for Virginia right now. It's not. I did see some of this game. Um, saw it actually at the SO Club and then saw it in the stadium because they had ACC Network playing all throughout the concourse in the pregame because Clemson was obviously coming on ACC Network right after that. So they kind of prepped all the televisions there um, along the concourse. So I did see actually a good bit of the fourth quarter as I was waiting in line to get drinks and food and all that stuff. Um, Virginia's going to go 7-5, and five, Joey. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to just call my shot now um, because, in my opinion, they're going to lose to North Carolina coming up next, and they're going to lose to Virginia Tech for a 16th straight year in the finale. So mm. Virginia's going 7-5. and five. Um, I've seen nothing out of Virginia in the last month that makes me think that they're heading in the right direction. Mm-mm. Like you mentioned, they have major issues on offense. They haven't been able to run the ball all year. They couldn't run the ball again on Saturday in a game where they absolutely had to just because of the weather conditions. Uh, we saw a similar issue with Notre Dame um, up at the big house against Michigan. They knew they had to run the ball and they just physically couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a major issue. Um, Virginia can't run the ball. Bryce Perkins is getting beat up. The offensive line hasn't been all that good. Um, Micah Kaiser, I guess he's he goes down in this game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they lose – uh, Bryce Hall, which is a major issue, uh, and and not having him in this game obviously made made a good deal of difference. At least in the running in the running game, they couldn't stop anything Louisville was doing on the ground. Again, you mentioned Louisville only throws fourteen passes in this game, so they didn't necessarily miss Bryce Hall as much as either one of us was expecting, just because the weather didn't dictate it that way. Well, but, one, one other that went out in the middle of this game, it's important to note, was Jordan Matt got thrown out of the game for targeting. I think in the first half. Um, so you want to talk about Louisville having some luck running the ball, take out one of their best linebackers, one of the best linebackers in the ACC, take him out of the game early. That really makes that move a lot easier. Yeah, I think I just dropped a Micah Kaiser reference. I met Jordan well, Mack. I don't know you why. You did. I was trying to look that up. I was like, wait a minute. He didn't – okay, anyways, we're good. Yeah, my bad. I met Jordan Mack, and I said Micah Kaiser. It's midnight on Sunday night, <laughs> uh, Eastern time, and I've been traveling all day, so that's my fault. Mm-hmm. Anyway um, – yeah, Louisville runs the ball for five yards of carry in this game, had three touchdowns. Javion Hawkins is really good, had 136 yards and two scores for Louisville. 2-2 Atwell, it seems like every week we do the recap and we talk about how well he played, six catches for 122 yards and a touchdown. So he was phenomenal once again. 
Yeah, and Louisville just grinded this thing out, Joey. Um, they got that lead. It, it ended. It was twenty-eight to fourteen, and then Virginia scored late to pull it back within seven. But you know, once Louisville recovered that onside kick, that's all she wrote. You know, the Cardinals just were the better team all throughout here. They ran the ball a lot better, and Virginia just really didn't have a ton of answers offensively, which was a problem. Um, you know, when you get into those types of weather conditions and you can't run the football and you're making Bryce Perkins throw the ball 41 times, which, by the way, I don't think you want Perkins throwing it 41 times anyway. Mm -mm. Uh, but he throws it 41 times in bad weather. It's not a good recipe for Virginia. So, yeah, really impressed by Louisville, really impressed by Scott Satterfield in year one. Uh, it continues to be and continues to pan out to be a great hire, at least in, the, in this first year for Louisville. I mentioned that Louisville is going to be in position to make a bowl game. Well, they're five and three now. Um, you know, we were talking about that before they got this fifth win. They have Miami, NC State, Syracuse, and Kentucky left. They're going to win one of those four games and go to a bowl game, which, I mean, hand him coach of the year yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I made this note that Louisville could very feasibly finish eight and four or nine and three at this point. They have games left over. They got a bye week coming up, and then they go to Miami, they go to Raleigh. They have Syracuse at home, and then they go to Lexington to take on Kentucky. Now, that's three road games out of four to finish the year, but yep. I feel better about Louisville, especially the getting the bye week before Miami. I I feel way better about Louisville than any of those four teams right now. Um, for them to go 3-1 and one over that stretch is not inconceivable. And honestly, if... If Louisville finishes like eight and four, obviously like ACC coach of the year, this is also like national coach of the year territory for Scott Satterfield for what everybody thought was going to be a, a clear year zero situation, thought that Louisville was just a complete dead in the water roster and everything coming off the Petrino era. Man, what Scott Satterfield has been able to do with this team in year one is about as outstanding as anything we've seen in recent memory from the ACC with these coaches in year one. Um, it is – we can't say enough about how good they've they've been. Um, one more note I had on, on Virginia. So, yes, they've lost three out of four now, Mike. And, and we were talking before, Virginia has really not looked the same since about halftime of that Notre Dame game here a few weeks ago. They've, they, they've lost three of four, and the win uh, that they had against Duke was a little fluky, we'll say. Um, it was a little fluky. had some really short fields thanks to some turnover luck and – Got a kickoff return for a touchdown, all this. But, I mean, Virginia over those four games has been not great on offense. They they scored 20 points against Notre Dame, and I think it was only like three in the second half. They scored nine points against Miami. They've scored 21 points here against Louisville. Like, it is, it is becoming very problematic for Virginia. They play North Carolina next week in Chapel Hill, and that very well could decide the, the Coastal Division, the other game obviously being Virginia-Virginia Tech. But, I mean, it's it's a rough situation in the coastal right now, Mike. It's a, it's a it is a mess, and not even really like as much of a fun mess as it is just like a like cover your eyes mess. The fact we've gotten to the point where we're sitting here and saying, "Oh, uh, Virginia and North Carolina could decide the coastal here in Week Ten. Oh, oh, but also Virginia, Virginia Tech at the end of the year could decide the yeah. coastal. A month ago, the fan base wanted Virginia Tech to fire the coach. Yeah, yeah, that says it all. Yeah, I've got I've got Virginia Tech thoughts. We'll we'll, we'll save those for a podcast where they've actually got a game we got to talk about. But yep. yeah, I mean, if you if you look at the coastal standings, and we'll, we'll say this, and then we'll move on. Coastal standings right now in conference play: 
three and two, three and two, two and two, two and two, two and three, two and three, one and three. Like, everybody's lost at least twice. Nobody's lost more than three times. It is, like, you, you hear about the circle of suck deal of everybody beats each other. You're about to have, like, two laps of this. Of You, know, you can almost, like, turn around and, and rearrange them and build another one. We're, we're getting close to that. So, this is uh, this is about as, as ACC Coastal a season as there's ever been. So, good stuff. It's going to be an invitation. It's going to be an invitation to lose by three touchdowns to Clemson in Charlotte. Yeah, uh, only three. I was gonna, I was gonna go. Well, I mean, at least six. you'll be a three. Tu- you'll be a three touchdown dog, and you'll probably lose by more. Yeah, Clemson's covering that game for sure. Um, so give those points. Louisville twenty eight, Virginia twenty one. Um, let's move on here. North Carolina twenty, Duke seventeen. The victory bell that they play for, Mike. We forgot to mention that on the preview that the victory bell. Headed back to Chapel Hill for the first time. It spent three years in Durham, um, and, and the Victory Bell headed back. The, the Tar Heels win this game. A Let's just say it was an ugly game, to say the least. Um, there were seven turnovers, and there were two of those turnovers came in you know at the goal line, one for each team in the final three minutes of the game. Uh, I mean, this was just – it was a messy rivalry game. I mean, and just you know, kind of what you'd expect. UNC outgains Duke – you know, by a huge margin, but Duke's still in the game at the very end. I, I'm i not going to lie, I didn't watch a ton of this game, but it it just seems like it was a, a really messy situation. I, I don't know if I chalk that up to team quality on one side or the other, or if it's just a, a thing of, it's a rivalry game, and, and there was a lot of emotion and, and trying really hard, and that just results in some people kind of, uh, you know, doing some things that are a little uncharacteristic from what they would normally do. As somebody who talks a lot on podcasts and on radio and writes and does all this other stuff, I'm prone to having bad takes every once in a while. In my opinion, the worst take that I've maybe ever had in regards to the ACC was that Duke wouldn't really miss Daniel Jones all that much. That, But at the time, that wasn't a bad take. <laughs> it is now. Quentin Harris is really bad. Oh, he's bad. Joey. Yeah, it's not good. He's bad. It's not good. 22 of 39 for 229, one touchdown, one pick. Um, not quite six yards per attempt there. Um, speaking of quarterbacks that are really inefficient, that that's he's got to be up there. Um, he's up there. Yeah, he's up there. Yeah, that's not very good. Um, he's right there with Matthew McKay and James Graham tied for ninth as the quarterbacks with one-tenth of a yard more per attempt than Kenny Pickett has. Rough. Um yeah, turnovers tell the story. Uh, Duke turned it over last, and that's why North Carolina won with that mm-hmm. weird jump pass thing in the hands of Chester Ratt, the one of the best linebackers in the conference who actually used to play quarterback for North Carolina. Joey, remember that? Oh, yeah, every week. Every week, got to bring it up. Uh, Sam Howell, 10-26, 227. This was his worst game. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's efficient. If you're only going to complete 10 passes, you might as well get almost 230 yards and two scores out of it. <laughs> this is true. Uh, but also yeah, try but, to complete more than like a third of your passes. Yeah, but it wasn't very good. That's the second straight week where he's looked a little bit shaky. I mean, he's a freshman, so mm-hmm. it is, you know, I look, I, I'll take Sam Howell almost any uh, over almost any young quarterback in the conference. So, yeah, uh, it's fine. You're going to have some wrong pains inevitably when you're a freshman and his team still won the game. So at the end of the day, win a rivalry game, you know, make a couple big plays through the air and, 
get the job done. Uh, yeah, a lot of back and forth, crappy football. This was just a bad football game. But yeah. North Carolina finds a way to, to pull it out and push the bet that I put in the ACC this week, Joey. I had <laughs> North Carolina minus three, and it managed to push. Oh, there's that. Yeah. Um, yeah, North Carolina, I mean, if you just look at the box score you know, pretty blindly, it says that they, they ran the ball really effectively here. Uh, Javante Williams, 22 carries for 111 yards. Uh, Michael Michael Carter, 12 for 64. Antonio Williams, 5 for 50. Overall, the team goes 45 for 205. But if you just take one more look at that, they got close to half those yards on three carries. So, it, I mean, it just really quickly, it was not efficient. It was very explosive, and they, they got a lot of yards when, when they had the chances, but a lot of the time they did not. Um, this is a very defensive football game. Duke, at this point, much better defensively than they are on offense, you'd have to think. Um, the offense has has some has its moments, but really struggles to retain any level of consistency, um, you know, as you go several drives in, in a row. So... I don't know. You're correct, Mike, that this was just – this was an ugly, you know, board. I, I hate calling it a bad football game, but it, it wasn't easy to watch. Um, a lot of back and forth and not a lot of – not a lot of good things happening. Um, you know, North Carolina wins a game where, yeah, Sam Howell goes 10 of 26, throws two picks. They go 3 of 13 on third down, like – Again, I don't know how much how, how good either this you know this makes me feel about either team, but like you said, I mean, Duke turns it over last. They they were in position to you know either go in and score the game winning touchdown or at least kick a field goal and send it to overtime. But again, doing speaking of doing things that are very uncharacteristic, you you handed off the ball to a running back. He tried to throw a jump pass and threw it down into the gut of Chaz Surratt. Like, what are you doing? What in the blue hell was that? Get it, Blue Devils? What in the Blue Devil hell was that? There you go. There it is. Dad jokes. Um, by the way, Mike, did you see this like David Cutcliffe post-game deal that happened? So, I didn't. This was interesting, though, when you told me about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, as Duke is running off the field at the end of the game, a North Carolina player comes over. I think it was like a lineman, too. This is a big dude. Comes over and is kind of waving at him, taunting him, probably shouting a couple things, whatever. And a couple of Duke coaches come up and try to, you know, separate him from the team or whatever. And one of the coaches that eventually walks over is old-ass David Cutcliffe. And and what I thought was really going to be a little bit of a, uh, a shaming, you know, kind of moment. It's like, oh, David, Cutcliffe is not the kind of guy that's going to get physical with a player or anything like that. Eh, got a little bit physical. Just a little bit physical, we'll say. Um, Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, so uh, good on you, David. Just you know, get in there and protect your team. I guess they might need to protect you sometimes too. But who's to say? Uh, uh, Matt Mike, cut. Yeah, at a boy. Um, last thing here, Mike, on this game is Duke going to make a bowl game? Uh... So let and, and and here's why I say this: Duke's. Duke is 4-4 four and four right now. They need to win six games, obviously, for bowl eligibility. Final four games here. Notre Dame in two weeks. Syracuse at home. At Wake, home against Miami. Joey, question. Yep. Is that Miami game? So Miami is now 4-4. Four and four. I know Miami has, like, Alabama State or someone that doesn't matter in a few weeks. FIU. FIU. Um, okay, FIU. 
So that would get them – they have Florida State this upcoming Saturday on the road, which I'm taking Florida State. They're a six – yeah, Miami's a six-and-a-half-point dog in Tallahassee in that game. Yeah, I like Florida State there. Then they got Louisville, and then they got at FIU, at Duke. Joey, the reason why I bring up Miami here is because there's a chance that, that Miami-Duke game at the end of the year – The bowl eligibility bowl? Yep, the bowl eligibility game, baby. <laughs> Gosh. Man, that, that Louisville game for Miami, too, is going to be a terrible spot. The letdown game after the uh, trip to Tallahassee, and then you've got Louisville coming off a bye. Yeah. I wonder how many points Louisville's favored by there. And it might depend on if, if Miami can actually pull off the upset against Florida State. Yeah, so Miami's got Florida. they got Florida State, Louisville, FIU, and Duke. Mm-hmm. And Duke's got Notre Dame, Syracuse, Wake, and Miami. So if you're Duke, you got to win that Syracuse game. Wake Forest games against Duke always get weird, but Wake's going to be a significant favorite, especially at home. And, I mean, Duke hosts Miami at the end of the year. Joey, I think it might be setting up for a bowl eligibility game here. Yeah, these two teams very well could go one and two over their next three games and be playing for bowl eligibility there. The, I'm here uh, for it. The Saturday after Thanksgiving. Man, that'll be <laughs> that'll be some tough discussions to have. Uh, Coach Cut, baby, against Manny Diaz. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. I, I think so. Yeah, especially in Durham. I mean, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Good luck, Miami. Best <laughs> <laughs> of luck to you. Good luck. North Carolina 20, Duke 17. Let's just get the hell out of here. Uh, last I one, hate, Mike. I hate them so I hate them so much. Uh, it is truly <gasps> the uh, Mike and Joey Hate Miami podcast. Yeah. Florida State 35, Syracuse 17. And as we discussed before this, uh, we recorded here, Mike, this really is not – indicative the score is not of how much of a blowout this game was um florida state was up 21 to 3 at halftime uh at one point there in the third quarter becomes uh, becomes 35 to 3 florida state like you know syracuse had some you know good numbers looking at the box score and and they racked up 400 or 343 yards of offense and some of these things but like there was a ton a ton of that that came on their last three drives when it was really just garbage time um, Syracuse continues to look pretty bad. They are 0-4 in conference so far. I don't see this getting a whole lot better. There's not really a whole lot that's working for them, especially on offense. This is this is a, one of the biggest disappointments, I think, of the year. Maybe in college football is Syracuse coming back from a, what, like a 9-4, 10-3 kind of season, and I don't know that they're going to make a bowl game. Yeah, they won 10 games last year. We thought that they could probably win eight or nine this year, even if it was reasonably, you know, it was a reasonable expectation to think that they could take a step back. Um, They're probably not making a bowl game, like you mentioned. In all likelihood, they're the second worst team in the ACC right now um, after Georgia Tech. Well, I was going to say, give that another couple weeks, too. I I mean, Georgia Tech seems like they're getting better. No Syrac- kidding. Syracuse might be the worst in the ACC by the end of the year. Uh, yeah, I was actually going to say that, too. I, you know, that's just a temporary title, by the way. They, they could very well be the worst team in the ACC by the time this is all said and done. And we're not being homers about Georgia Tech here, either. This is, like, a legitimate thing. Georgia Tech's on the uptick, and Syracuse can't get anything going. They're either staying steady or getting worse every week, which is a problem. Uh Joey, I don't have a whole lot to say here. Cam Akers, 20 carries, 144, and four touchdowns. Like you mentioned, this game was 35-3. to It was never competitive. Um, You know, Syracuse scores those two touchdowns late to make it 35-17, but this game was never, ever close. Uh, 
the one stat here that's pretty funny. So Al Tornybrook was the starter in this game for Florida State, 15-26, 196, didn't throw a touchdown or an interception. He was fine, did what he had to do. Mm-hmm. Cam Akers and James Blackman. So Cam Akers running back. James Blackman now backup quarterback, former starter. Um, both attempted three passes in this game. Mm-hmm. Cam Akers and James Blackman both went two for three passing in this game. Cam Akers, 26 yards. James Blackman, 24 yards. That's right. Oh, yes. Your second, your, your running back, your starting running back was a more highly rated passer at the end of this football game than your backup was with the same amount of completions and attempts. Name another time where you'll see that. I'm not sure you will. I bet James Blackman had to buy the Dr. Pepper after the game for Cam. Oh, yeah. That's a, uh, that's a bet lost, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's, uh, is that what the kids are calling it these days, Dr. Pepper? That's what you said you were drinking at the Esso Club, right? Oh, correct. <laughs> uh yeah uh, we'll leave that there yeah just yeah we'll leave that alone um so yeah i this was kind of ho-hum i mean florida state was like a 11 point favorite or whatever in this game and this is kind of what we expected them to do and what they should have been able to do and they did it and that's good um so i don't know florida state it's interesting because they it seems like they play a little bit significantly better at home right now and They've got a couple of road games left at Boston College and at Florida. Uh, the Florida game is going to be a mess for them. Yep. But, I mean, you get Miami at home. you got to go to Chestnut Hill and play an increasingly deficient Boston College team. And you get Alabama State at home. Florida State's probably going to a bowl game at the very least, and I don't think you're firing Willie Taggart off of that. Oh, definitely not. Which, weird times that that's where we're at with Florida State, but, you know. Either way. Whatever it takes at this point. I mean, they missed a bowl game last year. They could make one this year. And if that's the bar we have to set, it's the bar we have to set. That's right. Florida State 35, Syracuse 17. Mike, you want to hand out a couple of awards before we get out of here? Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Uh, the Goyce team over the week, as we mentioned, uh, Duke gets a uh, – you know, so North Carolina has the ball. They're up three points. They, they, uh, they have the ball in the red zone trying to score. Their running back tries this, like, Superman dive from the four-yard line. He doesn't get halfway to the goal line before he is hit. He drops the ball. Duke picks it up. Uh, they work the ball all the way down uh, to their, you know, to the, uh, the scoring into the field. They're about to score either the game-winning touchdown or at least kick a field goal to send the game to overtime. And they got a little cute with the play calling. Hand the ball off to Deion Jackson, who goes up for a jump pass. And throws it right down into the gut of Chaz Surratt. I all game. It's like it. You know, it would be one thing if he kind of floats it up there and somebody comes over and picks it off. Like that's you know good awareness by North Carolina's defense, whatever. But he literally, it was like he jumped up. And if you if you picture like in basketball, it was like he was trying to throw like a a bounce pass between his legs or something like that. Which that's not how forward passes in football work at all. So. I don't know what on earth happened there, but that was just a, a total, total disaster uh, in, in a you know really cute play call for Duke. I mean, go ACC to that. You had a chance to win the game and just completely, completely blew it. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was uh, the definition of giving a game away. And mm-hmm. it was the margin for error in this game was so thin with teams turning it over at will mm-hmm. that – this was the one that had to decide the game. You make that play call and you and you throw that pass 
with a guy who shouldn't be throwing it in the first place, you deserve to lose. Yeah. Um, yeah, you earned that one for, again, just getting way too cute with that. Yeah, you uh, earned it for all the wrong reasons. Exactly. So go ACC to that, Duke. Um, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. And, and, Mike, we were struggling to find any one um, acute item that deserved it here this week. So we kind of went a little bit larger scale. Yeah, it's going to have to go to the ACC Coastal Division. Um, Woof. Joey, any division that has Virginia Tech, a bad football team, bad to mediocre, mm-hmm. um, control their own destiny to win the division. In late October, um, into November. <laughs> yes, that's when you know that this is a complete and total disaster. So mm-hmm. you can talk about Virginia Tech playing better all you want, and they were off this week, and they had a great weekend, Joey, because mm-hmm. Miami knocks off Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh all of a sudden has a handful of losses. Virginia loses to Louisville. All of a sudden, that looks a lot better. North Carolina beats Duke. So Duke's got another conference loss. All of a sudden, that Virginia Tech loss to Duke doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, great weekend for the Hokies, Joey. Yeah, that was a, it was a really good weekend to be off and just watching as uh, you know all the nonsense happened around. Watch everything burn. This is a weird, weird division, Joey. Everybody beats themselves, and whoever's least bad in week 14 is going to be the one that holds up the uh, holds up the title of going into Charlotte and getting blown out by mm-hmm. Death Valley's finest. Yeah. I don't know. I look down the stretch here, and, and the other team, you know, my team, Georgia Tech, you know, gets Virginia Tech at home here in a couple of weeks on the 16th of November. But before that, you get Pittsburgh at home. So Pittsburgh's got to pick themselves up off the deck after you know a, a pretty brutal loss to Miami, and now go to Atlanta to fight a, you know take on a Georgia Tech team off a of bye. They're still in it, by the way, Georgia Tech. They're still in it mathematically. Yeah, they have to be. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, that that's as indicative as anything. Um, I you know Virginia has not been looking good. You get all these home games stacking up at the end of the year. It's 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 good timing for Georgia Tech as they uh, seem like they're getting a little bit better. So I wouldn't be shocked if they win one more game here in the conference um, over their next four weeks, which, you know, typical. Um, so, yep. Coastal Division, you tried have anybody separate themselves before November, and it is not going well at all. Not at all. I've been a little bit. Um, overall records of all these teams. Five and three, four and four, five and two, five and three, four and four, four and four, two and five. Not good. Not good. Uh, ACC. How, how many bowl team? How many bowl teams do you think there'll be? Sorry, I didn't mean to take you off guard there. Uh, no, that's fine. Uh, we said Duke and Miami probably playing for eligibility. I don't know. This is probably four, maybe five. Virginia Tech has to get to seven wins for bowl eligibility. So there's that. But Pitt is already at five. Virginia's at five. North Carolina seems like they're going to get there. I bet five of these seven teams are still are, are going to be bowl eligible. Unbelievable. Which, yeah. Have fun sorting out all the six and six teams bowl committee. Because that's, yeah, that's what we're staring down the barrel of, I feel like. God. Uh, ACC's player of the week. I think it's got to be Cam Akers here, Mike. Uh, 20 carries for 144 and four scores. Um, he was the offense for Florida State in, in a lot of ways. And, um, Man, he is a he, he has been an absolute gem for them. Um, it's it's good that they've started really getting him the ball in a consistent way here. Yeah, Florida State knows too that they can't always pass the ball as well as they want to right now with the state of their offense. So they almost have to run things through Cam Akers, and 
Willie Taggart's probably pretty thankful that Cam Akers is playing for his football team right now. I know I would be, but Willie Taggart, especially a guy who hasn't been able to get much going in you know the first year and a half that he's been on the job, and now the last few weeks it looks like Florida State is starting to trend in a better direction, and a big reason for it is Cam Akers and his continued really strong play. So um, kept that going again on Saturday. It looked really good. Willie Taggart does not have a lot to thank Jimbo Fisher for at this point, with especially some of the things that were left in the uh, in the cupboard from a recruiting standpoint. But Cam Akers is definitely a big one to, to be thankful for. So, uh, yeah, he's been a, a real bright spot for the Seminoles. And then last one, Mike, ACC Team of the Week. I think it's got to be the Louisville Cardinals again. Um, pulling the upset at home against the Coastal favorite. Think about what that does really again to this Coastal race, right? Like, that's a that's a pretty substantial substantial difference maker. Um, I, I you know, and as good as they've been and as unexpectedly as they've been that good, I mean, just what a year for Louisville. Yeah, what a year for Louisville is right. And like you mentioned, this completely changes the complexion of the entire conference, really. I mean, the coastal is now not that it wasn't wide open before, but mm-hmm. you know, you have Virginia losing here to to Miami and, and have them losing now um, also to Louisville, two games that on paper Virginia was favored in. Mm-hmm. Um, they lose both of those games now in, in a span of about three weeks. And this is a completely different coastal division. Now it changes the whole outlook of the race changes the way a lot of people see Louisville. Um, a lot of people felt that Louisville was a team that was certainly overachieving this year, but now we're getting to a point where we can almost call the Cardinals like legitimately decent. I mean, Which, the second best team in the ACC. Yeah, like, no exaggeration. I mean, they beat Wake Forest. They beat Virginia. That's kind of all I need to know. I mean, they've been as consistently good as anybody has been really over the last month. I mean, they beat the two teams who were in the running for also being the second best team in the conference. Mm-hmm. Louisville beat both of them. Right. What else is there? Yeah, <laughs> what do you need to know? Like, Yeah, I'm there. So... Damn, what a year for the cards. Gotta love it. Mike, I think that's all I got on week nine. Anything else before we uh, move on here and go preview week ten? This conference is so bad. It's such a mess. It's so frustrating. I need I need like something to really be reliable and it's just it's just not there. I'm glad people are still listening to this podcast because Yeah. It's I mean the the quality of play is getting worse and worse every week. <laughs> quality of sound generally remaining the same. But we've definitely had a couple of clunkers from a sound quality standpoint. This is true. This is true. But like the rest of the ACC, we're not immune to clunkers ourselves. Certainly not. Not even close. Um, yeah. We're going to come back and re- preview Week 10. Um, I think there's a couple of really interesting games on the schedule next week. Um, it, it's going to be uh, a really, really interesting week, I think, in the ACC with some, some interesting matchups. So... We'll come back and preview those. We'll have that in your ears here shortly. But in the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, y'all can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, the Overcast app, uh, Spotify, and most importantly, Mike, they can find us on the Anchor app. Um, recommend that you do so and, and ask that you do so. Share us with your friends if you get a chance. Um, we, we really appreciate new new friends and new listeners. So um, help us out if you get a chance. Uh, Mike, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? 
Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all your podcasts here, Joey. Please do. Please do. Uh, Mike, anything else before we get out of here and come back and preview some games? I think we're good, man. Unfortunately, the next preview that we do is a double-digit week, mm-hmm. which isn't great. Yeah, it's it's going too quick here. Um, but, you know, we get more and more data points all the time, and they continue to just be a bunch of noise. Nobody's really any good here except for Clemson, so who's to say who's going to win in any given week? This is true. I mean, there's a lot of interesting storylines, and we don't even know half of them yet. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Going into week 10, we don't know half of them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, in any case, we're going to come back and do that. Uh, but, Mike, you uh, you have a good night. We will talk soon. Thanks, man. All right. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Thank <laughs> you.